Hey everyone, welcome back. You're listening to Uphill Both Ways. I'm Tess, your host, and today I'm going to be talking about finding my voice. And if you're like, what the heck does that mean? What is finding my voice? I have a voice. I'm talking right now. Keep listening because this is something I didn't find, I guess, until a couple years ago. And finding my voice to me just means figuring out what I want to say and how I want to say what I want to say especially as a student in an educational environment, but also in the real world and how it's helped me become a better conversationalist. It's made me feel funnier. It's made me more confident. And it's made me like to talk to other people a little bit more. So over the past few years, I figured out that my voice is a powerful tool and it took me way too long to realize this. I guess not way too long. It happened when it happened, but Better late than never, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. And I grew up in a K-12 public school system. And although you're really supposed to hone in on your writing skills during that time, I haven't really experienced the joy of finding my voice until recently. So before we begin, make sure to share this podcast with all your best buds out there. Make sure you're following on Instagram at UHBWpodcast because I post some cool stuff on there. And if you want to, you can tweet me at UHBWtweets. Okay, let's start... um, Let's start in kindergarten when I first really, like, started school and was aware of what words were. So I want you to picture little me in kindergarten. I was probably the tallest girl in the class, and I was probably wearing a ridiculous outfit with rainbow knee socks and a t-shirt from Old Navy. So basically what I'm saying is I peaked in kindergarten. My parents also agree with this. And I was so happy in kindergarten. I was always very expressive, very animated. So much so that my parents called me Tess the Musical because I would sing my life. I would narrate my life in song. And I still do this. I'm going to spare you and your ears the agony and not provide you with any examples. That's only for the people who I know in real life. Um, And if you do know me in real life, you know that I do this all the time. Anyway, in kindergarten, reading always came really naturally to me. So I was put in a special group, or actually, I guess it was just me and this other kid. So a special duo, Um, and this group was for advanced readers. So while all the other kids in the class were learning that their letters start at the top, me and this kid were zooming through Magic Treehouse. And we would go to a separate part of the room, and the reading specialist would come in to have a more accelerated lesson prepared for us. So off we went, doing our separate lessons. And as I was doing this more advanced reading, I couldn't understand why reading didn't come this naturally for everyone else. You know, reading to me was like walking. It was something completely natural. I never struggled with it. It always made so much sense to me. So at the time, I felt like my purpose on earth as a six-year-old was to read. At the end of the year, we had a class play which featured a lot of little tiny plays within it from Um, tales like Tortoise and the Hare, so we would make adapted versions for kindergartners. But I was casted as the narrator, which basically meant I facilitated the whole thing. 
I was the one responsible for telling each story while all the other kids just had a couple lines or stood there blowing some imaginary houses down. So there was no doubt about it. I was the best reader in the class. I was the best reader in the class. I don't even feel bad about bragging about this. I know everyone listening is jealous of my peak kindergarten success. It's okay to be jealous of that, okay? I always felt like I had a voice through reading. However, unfortunately, when you learn reading and writing, you also have to learn math. (laughs) Math was the dullest part of my life. I hated math so much, and I could not understand for the life of me what the point of adding and subtracting was. I couldn't understand it. It was too analytical. It was too abstract for for me. There was no substance to it. And I still remember the first day math was introduced into my life. This was not reading. This was something much more challenging. I remember we were given a word problem. And the problem was exactly this. We had to draw a lion. And then we had to count the back legs of the lion and then the front legs of the lion to mimic the equation 2 plus 2 equals 4. Except it wasn't 4 to me. I couldn't understand how we got there. I was just thinking, there's four legs, people. Like, I've been to the zoo so many times and lions have four legs. Have all my trips to the zoo failed me, you know? How does a lion not have four legs? What does two plus two mean? That doesn't make any sense. And this was the first time I remember really struggling in school. And I've struggled with math ever since that day. And I've never had a desire to get any better at it because it just makes me so frustrated. It makes me so frustrated. I know you can spend, you know, rule of a thousand hours or whatever, practice makes perfect. You can, you can get good at math. Anyone has that capability. I'm not trying to limit myself. It's just that I hate it so much. I have no desire to get any better at it. And I'll give you an example from, I guess, right now. I work at a store where I have to backstock product or um, push it out, and we have to date the product so they don't expire if it's food. And my manager the other day told me, she was like, can you date the product so we know the expiration date? And for each product, like, make sure that that's 20, 20 days from the date today. And I was like, oh, my God. I'm going to have to use the freaking staple, not staple gun, the date gun. And I need to figure out what month of the year July is. And then I need to figure out how many days from July 30th is August, whatever the next date is. And I can't do that in my head. Like I can't, I can't do it. um, It's really embarrassing. And she was looking at me like, this is the easiest thing in the world. Why can't you do this? And I I told her, I'm like, I can't do this. I can't do it. I can't do mental math. Um, So, yeah, math is a big impediment in my life. Uh, I might be one of those people with dysgraphia. I haven't gotten it checked out. I don't know. Whatever. I guess another example, a good example, is Boggle. And I love playing Boggle so much with my family because... I like the word aspect of it. And I'm quick with words. I'm able to see the words constantly and pick them out. No big deal. But when it comes to counting up the points at the end, I am so slow. And the numbers I'm adding up 
are like one and two. I'm like, okay, two plus one. Okay, that's three plus two. Okay, four, five. Like that, that is how it goes in my brain when I'm doing math. And when you keep counting up your points for a while, just because you're, you know, so good like me, it gets hard. It gets really hard to add up all those twos and ones. Anyway, back to reading and writing. Okay, so from kindergarten, my reading and writing progressed like crazy. And because I was so good at it, I expected myself to really excel in reading and writing. And sometimes my thought process was more like, I don't care for math, so writing is the only thing I have. And I will now introduce to you the worst creation in all of academia which is the rubric, the gosh darn rubric. I would use some off-color words to describe the rubric, but this is a family podcast, so I'm just going to stick with the rubric is one heck of a force, okay? It destroyed me. The rubric is detrimental to students who are already good at reading and writing. So the rubric limited my potential, but the, the scary thing was I didn't know it was so limiting. In high school, I could have been a better writer, for sure. I'm not talking about being better in a way that meant I should have applied myself more, but I'm talking about how I could have been better at using my voice. And these are two completely different things. Being good at writing and using your voice are not even on the same playing field. It's easy to follow directions, but it's harder to come up with your own directions, especially when you aren't allowed to. What got in the way was that I was really good at following directions, I was really good at following a script, I was really good at reading high-level books, and I was really good at writing well-structured sentences. And while these are good skills to have, that ended up actually being my downfall in terms of finding my voice. So as I progressed through middle school, and especially when I got to high school, I was taught to write according to what the rubric said. And... I thought, okay, that's easy. I'll follow the rubric. I have all these grammar skills, and now it's time to start writing essays. And I'll admit, this kind of felt overwhelming, starting an essay, doing, going through that whole process, even for me, even for someone who had all those skills under their belt. Because for the most part, I was just used to reading, you know, silly little chapter books and maybe writing a few sentences. I ended up being fine though. I got really good grades throughout middle school and throughout high school. I knew how to write an essay and I knew how to write an essay well. And I stuck to that rubric. I stuck to that rubric, man. And I was good. I was even a great writer compared to the rest of the class. And it wasn't just because of my grades. It was because my teachers would leave comments on my essay saying how well-structured and how, how well I followed the rubric, which was definitely an ego boost temporarily, you know. Um, but underneath the grades and underneath even my teacher's honest feedback, there was still a little bit of fear inside of me. And there was still a feeling that, especially in my writing, I felt held back. And I didn't really know what I was saying most of the time, which frustrated me. 
a lot of times when we're confused, we just stick with what we know and try to avoid doing the hard thing because it's comfortable. And so I fell into this sense of comfortability, which was read essay prompt, look at rubric, write for rubric, and ace the essay. It became very cyclical. And while cyclical things are temporarily rewarding, I felt like as my writing progressed, I got further and further away from my individual voice. And I didn't even know what I was saying half the time. And that's not, that's not good. I didn't know how to write anything from a creative perspective. So my sophomore year, I took creative writing. And I remember we had to write a short story at the end of the semester. That was the big test for the creative writing class. And the kicker was it had to be between six to eight pages. And I had never written anything that long in my entire life. And I kept on thinking to myself, I can't write anything that long. What are you, crazy? You're going to assign a six to eight page paper? You're expecting me to write eight pages of original thought? There's no way I can produce that. Not when I've been brainwashed to write for the rubric this whole time. And so the short story I ended up writing for that class was complete dog shit. (laughs) It was awful. I couldn't be vulnerable. I didn't know how to be real, you know? My voice was a foreign tool that I didn't know how to access yet, and I didn't know how to write with it. The problem with this creative story that we were assigned was that it wasn't an essay with steps to follow. There was no argument, and I wasn't providing the reader with information. This was all I knew how to do at this point. It wasn't creative either because I didn't know how to write creatively. And this is because my imagination had been crushed under all these years of writing for something other than myself. I couldn't write unless there was a prompt. Junior and senior year of high school became tougher in terms of rubric following because I started taking more advanced classes where the rubric becomes a much bigger deal. If you've ever taken an AP class or you're in an AP class right now, you know that the rubric is the holy grail. College Board loves the rubric. And if you stray away from it, you're in huge trouble. There's really no point in taking an AP class if you don't do everything according to the rubric because you're gonna fail. So you can only imagine how detrimental that was to finding my voice. It honestly set me back. Even though I was taking these advanced classes, I felt even more set back than before. When it came time to write my college essay, I was pretty much stuck. There was no rubric here. The whole time I was brainstorming ideas of what to write, I kept trying to find some type of rubric online, like how to write the college essay, what what is the perfect ingredient for the college essay, all that stuff when you're super confused on how to write it. And as I was asking the internet all these questions, I never once stopped to ask myself, where is my voice? So I started writing this essay and I was empty and directionless, which is an awful place to begin if you don't know how how to get yourself out of it. And the college essay is an essay where you have to write something about, you know, the challenges you go through and how you overcome them, but not so much that you're pitied and not so much that sounds like you're bragging. Okay, so I could list a hundred reasons why the college essay can rot. In my opinion, I think it's stupid. I really do. Um, That's 
for another time though. I'm not going to talk about that right now. I'm going to leave a TED Talk linked below in the show notes. Uh, Tina Young spoke about the college essay and I so super encourage you to check this out. It's so good. Her view on the college essay aligns with mine pretty much to a T. So back to the college essay, I don't even know what the prompts are. I remember I spent so much time writing that essay as if it was the end-all be-all of my entire career, not as an academic or not as a student, but as a person. Because it was such a personal essay, I thought it would ruin me just as a person. I thought my life was going to end if I failed this essay. I I probably actually thought I would just drop dead. I was so stressed about it. What makes it even harder when you write a college essay is that you aren't writing for your high school teachers. You're writing to admissions officers who, at that time in your life, as a junior or senior in high school, seem so high up above you. You're writing to people who know nothing about you, and you don't know anything about them either. You don't know what they're looking for. You don't know how they're going to judge you, how you're going to be perceived. And the worst part is you don't even get any feedback. You don't get real words written back to you. You just get a stamp of approval or accepted into the college or you get rejected. You might be wondering what I wrote my college essay on and it ended up not even being super impressive or anything. I would have written it completely different now, now that I know how to use my voice in a way that represents me better. Um, I just wrote it about how I love to learn, how I'm an avid learner, and how I love learning new skills all the time, whether that's in music or the arts, because those are my areas of interest. I've always tried to learn something new, and I love challenging myself in that way, so I wrote about that in my essay. So the subject was very true to who I was, but it took me so much time to really strip myself and find my voice under all the layers of rubric that had been weighing down on me. And I wasn't being efficient with my time. This took me months to write. And if you have to take months to write about yourself, that says something about the extreme pressure that students feel when there's no rubric involved. I couldn't even write about me without a rubric. I felt like the moment after I finished my college essay And the moment after all my applications were submitted, I finally started to find my voice. I could finally take a deep exhale. And I finally started writing just for the fun of it. And when I started writing in college, I was kind of like, I'm not writing for the professor or the teacher anymore. I'm not doing that. I'm not writing like I did in high school. It never helped me in the long run anyway. In fact, it hindered me. I know I'm good at writing to my core. So I'd rather get a B and write something with my own voice that I'm proud of than torture myself to try to get an A and sound like a robot. The problem with the rubric, I think, to its core is that it tells you when to stop. And I fell for it. I fell for the rubric like a good first love, okay? I believed this thing. And when I was writing an essay in high school, the first thing I looked at was the rubric. Whenever I write an essay now, I use my voice, and then I consult the rubric at the very end to see if there's anything I should add to improve what I already have. It's hard to find your voice because I think it comes at a cost. I think 
it can be very vulnerable, especially after years of being told how to write and how to do it. And being told how to write affects how you use your voice, ultimately. You don't know what to look for. It's more vulnerable than solving math equations because it will always be uniquely you. So how can you apply your voice in your own life? Okay, so I'm gonna give you a scenario. If you're a person that knows how to write really well and you get really good grades, but you constantly ask yourself, what the heck am I even saying? I will tell you what I wish I did earlier in my life. Make your mistakes in middle school and high school. And when you make your mistakes, make them really hard. Actually, intentionally make mistakes. See what happens. It's not that deep. Don't follow the rules. Don't follow the rules, you know? If you're confident in your reading and writing abilities and you already get good grades and you, you do really good grammar, then try giving yourself permission to not follow the rules for once. See what your teachers say. They probably will have something to say. They'll probably notice that something's up. It's, get, it's like getting free help. So say there's a limit of three pages on your essay, but you have so much more to say. Go for five. Go for six pages. Say you're struggling to fill up two pages because the prompt doesn't warrant that much thought. Write two sentences. Okay, you know, what's going to go wrong? Do you have to support a point? Refute it. If you're unsure about taking this step on your own, just talk to your teacher about it. Chances are they'll want to help you. They might even want a breath of fresh air among 25 papers on Great Gatsby and his American dream because everyone writes that essay. I guarantee you every single English teacher in the United States has received an essay titled Great Gatsby and his American dream. So bring in a new perspective. If you actually struggle with writing the way I struggle with math, Maybe you should stick to following the rules for now. Maybe don't write two sentences and think you're off the hook. But if you are confident in your writing abilities and you feel like you've lost your voice along the way, I encourage you to break the rules. Because these tiny steps of rebellion will one day morph into what you want to say. Because one day you'll be writing an essay about the obscurities of... T.J. Eckelberg's sexuality, if we're continuing the Great Gatsby theme. Or you could be making a podcast on how to find your voice. Who knows? Find the deeper meaning in things. You can always go further than what you're told. One last thing about grades, because grades are very much relevant, at least in my story. I just want to say, there are more letters in the alphabet than A, B, C, D, and F. Think about all 26. Don't let a five-letter grading system determine what you're capable of. If you find yourself failing under such a limited scope of boundaries, it only makes sense that educators are failing us, not the other way around. There are many things to be said and many different ways to say them. The traditional grading system, in my opinion, cannot support the complexity of thought and the infinite capabilities of the human mind. Boom. It's bullshit, so don't focus on it. If you do, you'll come out the other side with nothing original to say and no connections made. So get creative as early as possible because not only will you figure out what you're trying to say, but creative writing also makes argumentative 
and informational writing much, much easier. I promise you, you have something to say. Everyone has a unique perspective. And finding your voice is not just relevant to writing. It is in my life because I love writing and that's where I feel most comfortable using my voice, obviously, because I have a podcast where I use my voice every week. So your voice could reside in the arts or music or, believe it or not, math. God bless you. I don't know. (laughs) Don't know if that could be me ever. But um, finding my voice has helped me in every aspect of my life. Like I mentioned before, I really do feel more confident when I speak. I feel more creative. I feel more sure of myself. There's so many benefits to this. And it's really a shame that I struggled all those years. It's it's not something I can regret because I was learning, you know. Along with the struggle, there was so much learning involved all those years in middle school and high school. I couldn't have figured it all out then, but I'm glad I have now. And even as a technically great writer, I really struggled to know what I was saying. So never in a million years would I expect myself to be making a podcast where every single idea I have is my own. As always, I hope you were able to relate to this episode or you learned something new. This episode was particularly fun for me to share because I think it embodies uh, everything about Uphill Both Ways so far. Um, So I really hope you enjoyed. Remember to share this podcast with your friends and your family. Text them, email them. Shout it out on Instagram and other social media platforms. And you can follow me on Instagram at UHBW Podcast. Whoa, UHBW Podcast. And ask me questions on Twitter at UHBW Tweets. I'll see you next time. <laughs>